Let's turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. And uh, we're talking about faith for increase. Psalm 115, verse 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. Well, that's good news right there. The Lord is thinking about us. And what's he thinking about when he thinks about us? He will bless us. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. So when the Lord thinks about us, he's thinking about blessing us and ways he can bless us. This is something that we have to get settled in our heart in order to increase with the increase of God. That's what we're talking about, the increase of God. Uh, not increasing like the, the world does, but increasing uh, with the increase of God. It says he will bless us. That's about as strong as you can get. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. So this planet and all the resources in this planet are ours. They're not the devil's. They don't belong to the devil and his crowd. All the resources, all the minerals, all the treasures of the earth belong to us. We see that also uh, Isaiah 45.3, you can just write that down, we won't turn there. But it says, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. And Isaiah 60 verse 5 says, your heart will tremble with joy and rejoice because the abundant wealth of the seas will be brought to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. So God has hidden treasures. He has treasures um, in secret places. He has wealth, the wealth in the sea that hasn't even been discovered yet. But I believe God will reveal to people in the end times where these treasures are and they're gonna come into our hands, amen? So God created this planet as man's playground. God thinks big. <laughs> he, he created an entire planet just for his kids to play on. And that, that's the way God is. Verse 14, let's read this aloud. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Now let's put the word me in there. The Lord shall increase me more and more, me and my children. Amen. Now let's turn over to uh, Mark chapter 9. 
and we'll just hold it there for a moment. Mark chapter 9. This is a story of uh, the man who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples, and they were unsuccessful in getting him delivered. I'm sure you've read this story before. And one of the points of this story is don't interpret other people's failure or lack of success as being the will of God. Don't interpret other people's failure or lack of success as being the will of God. Someone else's negative experience does not reveal the will of God. And that's uh, one of the points we can learn from this story. We know the, the man brought the son to the disciples and they were not successful in getting him delivered. But that did not mean that it still wasn't God's will for him to be delivered. Uh, everybody's not saved, but that doesn't change the will of God that God wants everybody saved. Everybody's not healed, but that doesn't change the will of God for everybody to be healed. Everybody's not blessed financially and materially, but that doesn't change the will of God for people to be financially and materially blessed with abundance. So the first question you have to answer in this area or in any subject in the Bible is, is it God's will for me to increase financially? Is it God's will for me to be healed? Is it God's will for me to speak in tongues? Whatever the situation is, is it God's will for me? And that's a, a question that we have to settle in our heart because if we don't, it's going to undermine our faith in that area. As long as you have questions about it and you're not sure, it's going to undermine your faith and you're not going to be able to receive it. It is God's will that all of his children be rich financially and materially for a purpose. Now, what is rich? Rich is not uh, a number. It's not a pound amount or a dollar amount. According to the dictionary, uh, the word rich means having abundant possessions and especially material wealth. It means having high value or quality. It means highly productive or remunerative. In the Hebrew, the word rich is the word kabod, K-A-B-A-D, and it means weighted down or heavy. Weighted down or heavy with everything good. That's what the word rich in the Hebrew means. Weighted down or heavy with everything that's good. So rich is not an, an amount of money. Rich just means too much. You have more than enough to cover everything you need and want. And you still have more than enough to help somebody else in need, help them get out of a situation, alleviate pressure in their lives, and after, after you and somebody else, you still have more than enough to write a big check 
to your favorite ministry and expand the kingdom of God. So that's rich. God wants his children rich for a purpose. That purpose is God has a vision for the earth. He has a vision for the earth. The majority of the body of Christ cannot accept this teaching, what we're talking about today. The majority of the body of Christ cannot accept this truth about uh, what the Bible teaches about finances and material possessions and being strong and rich in the area of finances. Most of the body of Christ cannot accept that because they're dull of hearing. And that means uh, they're disqualifying themselves from the blessings of God and it doesn't please God. God is not able to use them in the area of finances to fulfill his purpose in the earth. So God is going to have a remnant of people, a remnant of people in the body of Christ who will receive this teaching. They will rise up strong financially. They will believe it and they will do it in order to uh, fulfill God's purpose in the earth. As you know, in the Old Testament, uh, there were many times where Israel turned away from God. It was almost always related to uh, when they had an ungodly king. We just talked about the importance of having leadership that at least has a heart toward God or at least somebody God can use. Um, and every time they got a, a king whose heart was not toward God, he turned the entire nation away from God. And that's just the way it works. And that's why it's so important that we have godly leaders. Uh, not necessarily Christians, but at least godly leaders. People who, who want what's uh, best to have the nation's best interest at heart, they have the people's best interest at heart. And they're, they're, uh, they're people that God can use and, and, and that um, they will keep the nation on a righteous course. And in the Old Testament, you know, there were times they turned away from God, they began to worship false religions, idols, they turned away, and as a result, uh, the nation began to decline spiritually, it declined morally, it declined economically, it declined uh, in national security. Their enemies came in and, and defeated them on a regular basis every single time. You can just follow it all the way through the Old Testament. But in the midst of that, there was always a remnant of God's people who stayed faithful to God. He, even when the majority of the whole nation turned from God, there was always a remnant of people that God could use. And he, and he was confined, he was limited to that little remnant of people to keep his course for mankind on track. So God, God is used to using a remnant of people in the earth and in this uh, this teaching in, in the area of finances and material possessions that's necessary to establish the kingdom of God in the earth, God's going to have to use another remnant of people. 
And I decided a long time ago, I'm going to be in that remnant. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines watching somebody else. Uh, you know, I, in, the, in the greatest move of God that's ever hit this planet, I do not want to be sitting on the sideline, you know. So I made up my mind, I want to be in this remnant. Now Ephesians 5.27 says, Jesus is coming back for a, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. But this lack and poverty mentality, mentality in the body of Christ is one of the biggest, ugliest spots and wrinkles in the church. And it's the result of wrong centuries of wrong teaching. And this spot and wrinkle is going to have to be surgically removed by the Word of God before Jesus returns. The majority of Christians will not accept this, but that's not going to change the will of God. He is going to have a remnant of people that will be obedient and willing and strong in this area because God is not going, God is not a compromiser. He does not cave in to other people like, like we see many, uh, you know, uh, people in influential positions do, leaders and so forth in the earth today who cave in to other uh, voices. God is not going to compromise his vision for mankind just to accommodate somebody's personal theology or beliefs. Now, uh, turn to Zechariah 1. It's kind of toward the end of the Old Testament there, right? Right before Malachi. So it's just right toward the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 1, um, 14 says, So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen, or the nations, that are at ease. This is saying God is not pleased that the heathen are living at ease. They're comfortable, they're wearing the best, they're driving the best, they're living in the best, while the people of God are struggling and God's vision for the earth is being delayed. It says God is not, he, he's displeased at this, for I was but a little displeased and they helped forward the affliction. Uh, on down to uh, 17, cry yet saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So it's God's will and God's vision that through prosperity, uh, the kingdom of God is going to be established and expanded. And the Bible clearly teaches that it's God's will for His people to be rich in finances and material possessions. Now, 
Uh, in the Old Testament, those Old Testament believers, they knew they were supposed to be rich. They knew they were supposed to be rich. We have many examples of men and women in the Bible who were extremely rich and wealthy, financially, materially, and spiritually. And because they were spiritually rich to begin with, they had a covenant with God, they knew they had a covenant with God, they were candidates to be financially rich, and God made them rich. They didn't make themselves rich, God made them rich. We know in the, in the New Testament, in, in Jesus' time, although technically Jesus was still operating under the Old Covenant, but in Jesus' uh, time on earth, we know he had wealthy friends. And those uh, wealthy uh, friends and partners who supported his ministry, just the ones we know about. We know about Zacchaeus. We know about Joseph of Arimathea. Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And in Luke chapter 8, it says many others, many others who uh, shared their substance or their wealth with him. So we just have the names of a few, but the Bible says there were many others uh, that were associated, wealthy people who were associated with Jesus. And it wasn't until pagan philosophy and pagan religious ideas began to be injected into Christianity that the body of Christ began to decline financially and ultimately decline spiritually. The church became less and less influential in the culture. Now, I've got here what is called the seven pillars or seven mountains that make up any society. Any society, anywhere in the world, it is, it is consists, these seven pillars or mountains make up every society. It's what every society is, is built on. Business, government, media, or news media, arts and entertainment, education, family, and religion. Now, whoever, whoever and whatever is, off, is, is at the top of each of these mountains, whoever's at the top is, is who is controlling each of these areas of society. Whoever or whatever's at the top is the one in control. And you can look at these seven pillars or mountains of society, and when you look, how many of these mountains are being controlled by Christians? You. you can't really put your finger on one, can you? And these three right here are the biggies. These are the real biggies. That's the ones that the devil really does not want to let go of because these are the mouthpieces of society, really. These people got the microphones, they got the platform, they got the megaphone. The news media, Hollywood, education. 
They're the ones that are really controlling the course of society. Those are the three big ones, but all, all of these are important. So, that's my point. There's not really a single one of these pillars of society that the body of Christ is really influencing, much less it controlling the course of, of society and culture. So when the world gets into trouble and they run out of solutions and they don't have the answers, they're not coming to the church, are they? They're not coming to Christians for help. And the primary reason the world is not coming to the church for help. Hold your place um, there. I don't know if I asked you to hold your place in Mark 9 or not, but we'll find it again. Turn to Ecclesiastes 9. It comes kind of right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 9. We'll find the answer to... Uh, the primary reason the world is not coming to the church for help when they run out of solutions and answers. Ecclesiastes 9:16. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The contemporary English version says, if you are poor, no one pays any attention to you, no matter how smart you are. The New Century Version says, But these people forgot about the poor man's wisdom and stopped listening to what he said. So when the body of Christ got off the word of God, modern theology began to replace the blessing of Abraham with poverty doctrines and pagan philosophy and they exchanged this pagan philosophy and poverty doctrines for the power and wisdom of God the world stopped listening to what we had to say and this is why we need major mind renewal in this area we have to continually put the word in our spirit to remove and wash out all of this previous unscriptural teaching and renew our mind to the will of God. Let's say this together. God is increasing me, God is increasing me. more and more, me and my children. God wants me rich. Amen. And I hope you didn't stumble over that last one too bad. <laughs> Let's say it again. God wants me rich. God wants me rich. Amen. Let's go back to Mark 9. Uh, we're back here at our story of the, the man who brought his uh, son to the disciples. Uh, and they could not deliver him from these demons. Verse 22 says... Um, Jesus said, bring him to me. And Jesus said, tell me the story. And the man said, um, and oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So when, 
When the man says, if you can, if you can help us, first of all, he's questioning Jesus' power and ability to help them. He's not sure if Jesus can or not. Because he said, if you can, help us. So he's got a question mark over whether Jesus has the power or ability to help them. Number two, the man is putting all the responsibility on Jesus. He's putting all the responsibility for his son's deliverance over on Jesus. In other words, Jesus, it's all up to you. Is it all up to Jesus how much we have? No, not really. Has God preordained who's rich and who's poor? No, we talked about that last meeting. Our believing, our obedience, and our walk with God has something to do with it. God has a part, we have a part. And verse 22 in the New King James Version, it says, And often he has thrown him both into the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, Jesus basically hits the ball back into his court and says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So, the common English Bible says, Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, question mark, all things are possible for the one who has faith. So the, the, the King James Version here doesn't really bring out the, the best of the conversation here. It, Jesus, it, in the King James, it's Jesus just said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth, like it's a statement. But in these other translations, Jesus said, if you can do anything, what do you mean if you can do anything? If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. What was that translation? Uh, the CEB, Common English Bible. The New Living Translation, NLT, it's good also. Jesus said, when the man said, if, 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 if you can, uh, you know, if you can, Help us, have compassion on us. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? <laughs> now that kind of puts a whole different light on the story, doesn't it? What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The message translation, this is good. Jesus said, if, there are no ifs among believers. <laughs> Isn't that good? There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. Praise God. Amen. That's worth coming for right there. Amen. Yes. The question is not, can God? Can God do this? The question is, can we believe for it? That's the question. Can we believe for it? Do we have faith for it? 
That's what Jesus is bouncing back over into this man's court. All things are possible to him that believeth. So all things are not possible to everybody. All things are not possible to everybody. How much is all? All is all. Amen. Now this story involved the case of deliverance from a demon spirit. And the biggest problem in the body of Christ today is not deliverance from demons and evil spirits. The biggest problem in the body of Christ today is deliverance from debt, deliverance from not being able to pay bills, deliverance from lack, and struggling financially paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's the pro biggest problem the body of Christ needs deliverance from today. Now this is where we want to get to. We're sitting in a meeting and there's, you know, we have a project, we're going to build, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a, a TV studio or some project where we're going we're gonna to get the word out to more and more people. Start blanketing this good news that, that God, uh, it's God's will for everyone to be blessed. It's God's will for everyone to be healed. It's God's, Jesus came that we have abundant life and so forth. And you're sitting there with your checkbook in your hand. And there's only one question you even have to think about. You don't even have to think about how much money is in your bank account. All you have to think about is, Lord, do you want me to write the check for the entire hundred thousand, or do you want me to just write a check for half of it? Now that's where we want to be, folks, and we, we can get there. And your mind may be struggling with that at the moment, but that's why we're talking about this. we got to have some mind <coughs> renewal in this area. You, I want to get to the place... I don't even have to think about what's in my bank account. If God says write a check for 50000 all i got to do is just pull it out and write it. Amen? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about freedom. That is freedom. That is liberty. I'm telling you. So is it possible for you to get to that place? Yes. It is. Amen. Let's say this together. All things are possible to him that believes. Amen. Let's turn over to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Nineteen. I guess you've got some scriptures marked in this chapter, probably. <laughs> in your Bible. <laughs> Philippians 4. 19. But my God might supply. Is that what it says? Could supply. <laughs> no. Shall supply. Yeah. Will supply. That's pretty strong language. But my God shall supply some of your need. No. All of your need. According to your job. 
No, according to your pension. According to the economy. According to your investments. No, according to his riches and glory. Not according to your riches, not according to your resources, according to God's resources. And what we've been doing, when we need something or want something, what's the first thing we do? We look at how much money do we make? What can we afford? What's in our bank account? No, it's his riches and glory that we need to be looking at. It's not according to your resources and what you can do. It's according to his resources and what he can do. I could meet somebody's need according to my resources and it would be limited up to a point. You could meet somebody's need and it would be limited at some point. But we're talking about God meeting your need according to his resources which are unlimited. There are no limits on God's resources. But we're going to see there are things we can do that can still limit God, even though his resources are unlimited. So, one of the first steps in coming up from where you are, number one, you must get a revelation of who your source is. This is really, really first and foremost you must get a revelation of who your source is. And of course, revelation is progressive and it increases as you go forward. The more you pursue it, the more you learn, the more you walk in it, the, the, the more God reveals to you. Um, one of the indicators of who your source is who or where do you look to when you have a need? Who or where do you look to when you have a need? That's a major indicator of who your source is. Do you think, well, I could work some more overtime, or I could get another job? Uh, those are indications that you're the source and you're the provider. Uh, you know, some people would say, well, I could borrow the money or I could uh, drop hints to other people that I have a need. But other people are not our source. Write this down. Faith does not put pressure on other people. Amen. Faith does not put pressure on other people. Even preachers can make congregations their source of supply. We've all been sitting there before. We've sat there and uh, we've all had letters in the mail, writing appeal letters, get, putting pressure on people to give. Get on TV, put pressure on people to give. Stand up in church, put pressure on people to give. It's pretty obvious God is not their source of supply. They are making people their source of supply. It goes back to that first reading 
Psalm 115. It all goes back to the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, in the first place, people, you know, if this is, a, a, you know, if it's of, of God and it's expanding the kingdom, and not, I don't mean just a good cause necessarily, and not advancing religion or something, but, you know, you'll have a desire to get in on this. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll want to get in on an opportunity. You shouldn't, somebody shouldn't have to be pumping you, you know, forcing people to get involved in, in, a, in a project, you know, that's, that's going to uh, truly advance the kingdom. So, um, so people should want to get in on an opportunity. Uh, it's an investment with wonderful returns. So people shouldn't have to be pressured. Now, um, you know, everyone would agree that, pre that preachers shouldn't put pressure on people, but sometimes people put pressure on people. You know? Uh, there's not two sets of rules. There's not one set of rules for preachers and another set of rules for everybody else. You know, if it's wrong for preachers to pressure other people, then it's wrong for us to pressure other people. Uh, have you ever had a salesperson try to pressure you into buying something? Yeah. And as soon as I realize it, I'm ready to leave. You know what I mean? I'm ready, ready to go when they start pressuring me to buy something. Why do they do that? Because they have made you their source of income. Some of these salespeople even have quotas they have to meet. They, they have to make so many sales in a month or whatever, and if it's down to the end of the month, and they got to have one more sale to meet their quota, and you just happen to walk in, <laughs> then there's going to probably be some pressure applied. You know what I mean? So they have made you their source of income, and if you don't buy their product, their income's not going to, their income's going to go down. They're not going to meet their quota, and their need won't be met. So that's why they begin to apply the pressure to you. Have you ever pressured somebody for something? Uh, to buy something or to do something? So we, we've all been there. But God doesn't need our help dealing with people. If God's genuinely dealing with someone, then he doesn't need our help. He, uh, you know, he, he's able to, to take care of that. Uh, if, if God's dealing with someone and they don't listen, he'll move on to somebody else. He's not just going to let you do without because, because the first person he went to is not listening. He'll move on to somebody else. God has go-to people. And that's, what, that's where I want to get to. I want to be one of those go-to people that when nobody else is listening, God can always come to me and says, Okay, Barb, I've been to... Five other people, and they're not listening to me, and I need this done. And he comes to me and says, write the check. Amen? That's where I want to be. I want to be the go-to person. Amen? People that he can rely on to obey him promptly, and they won't keep him waiting for days and weeks. You know, if you're believing God, if God's dealing with somebody else to help you, you don't want them to keep you waiting days and weeks. So when God comes and deals with us, we want to be prompt and not keep him 
waiting days and weeks. Amen? So, most Christians believe what they can have is based on their income. That's the way most Christians think. They're limited in what they can have based on what they can afford and based on their income. But your salary or your job is not your income. It's part of your income. It's one channel which makes up your total income. You could have income coming to you from other ways, other channels, other than your job, other than your pension, whatever. Everybody say one source, one source. many channels. One source, there's one source. Our source is God, but there are many channels he can use to get provision to us. Your income, apart from your salary or pension, can come to you from many different channels. And in the past, I've been guilty of saying, well, this came from an unexpected source. That's not right. There's no such thing as unexpected sources. There's unexpected channels. But there's only one source. There are unexpected channels. Write this down. Your income is not limited to your salary or pension. Your income is not limited to your salary or your pension. That's just one channel that God can use to get provision to you, but he is not limited to that. Uh, last, I think it was last summer, I heard a conversation between a couple of people who were Christians, and one of them was talking about uh, a specific luxury car, about 50,000 pounds, really nice, all the comfort, all the gadgets, you know, very comfortable to ride in and everything at your fingertips, you know. And uh, then one of them said sarcastically, well, you only need 50,000 pounds to get one. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't involved in the conversation. But I thought, no, you don't need 50,000 pounds to get one. All you need is faith and some seed to sow. Amen? And you can have that car. You may not even need the 50,000 pounds. But if you got seed and you got faith, you can either get the car outright or you can get the 50,000 pounds to pay for it, whichever, whichever it takes. Amen? Faith puts some seed in the ground and believe God. That's what you need. Don't ever tell your kids or grandkids, we can't afford that. I've done it <laughs> years ago. Yeah, yeah, we, everybody. But I'm just from now on, don't tell your kids or grandkids you can't afford that. Don't build a poverty mentality into them. If they want something, tell them to go get their piggy bank, see how much money's in it, and plant a seed. And believe God, ask God for it, and, and believe God for it. Or ask them, go get one of your toys, and we're going we're gonna to sow that as a seed to another little kid, and you believe God for this other toy that you want. The first church I went to here in England, 
Uh, I knew a, a lady there. She uh, was single, and she um, she had a relative who passed away and left a little boy. I don't know, four or five years old maybe. And she took the little boy and raised him. And um, when he got kind of Joshua's age, I guess, he wanted a new bicycle. And she said to him, go get your piggy bank. And he went and got his piggy bank. She said, let's see how much money. He had 10 pounds in there. She said, okay, we're going to take a pound. We're going to take it to church. We're going to give it to God, and we're going to believe God for you a new bicycle. He said, no, I want to take the whole 10 pounds. So he took the whole 10 pounds out of his piggy bank. He brought it to church, put it in the offering. Now, I, I heard about this later. She was telling me. Of course, the whole church eventually knew about it. But uh, he, put, he put the whole 10 pounds in, believing God for this bicycle. And as far as I know, when she told me the story, she never told anybody else about this. She didn't tell anybody else in the church about this. But about three weeks later, somebody came to her door, knocking on the door with a brand new bicycle for that kid. Now, that kid is never, ever going to forget that in their entire life. Because he knows that bicycle didn't come from Santa Claus. It didn't come from the Easter Bunny. It didn't come from the Tooth Fairy. It didn't come from his parents. It came from Jesus. And now he knows how to get anything he wants. He knows from now on how to get anything he wants or needs. So he's never going to forget that. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you limit what you can have according to your salary or pension, You've limited yourself. Now let's turn to Psalm 78. Do we need to take a break? Are you doing okay? Okay. Um, Psalm 78. Uh, verse 19. This is recalling, you know, all the great things God did for the, that first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? They're saying, how could God ever get food and water to us out here in the middle of the desert? Where would he get it? How would he get it to us? Did God feel sorry for them? <laughs> no. Verse 21 says, Therefore the Lord heard this, and was wroth. The New King James Version says, when he heard this, he was furious. God had faithfully provided for them over and over. He brought them out of Egypt, healed. They all had money and gold in their pockets. 
A cloud led them by day, a fire led them by night. God flew meat in with no airplane. But every time a need came back, it was always this question, how's God going to do this? Where's God going to get that? How's God ever going to get this to us? And people do the same thing today. How would God ever get us enough money to pay our debts off? Where would he get it? How could he get it to us? How could God ever get us the money to pay our house off? How could we ever live in a house like that? How could we ever drive a car like that? How could I ever write a check for 100,000 pounds to God? People are saying the same thing, basically, when they ask questions like that. You don't need to know the answer to any of those questions. All you need is seed in good ground and believe God. Seed in good ground and believe God. You don't have to answer any of those questions. Verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, if God has unlimited resources, how could they limit God? If He has unlimited resources, yet it says they limited God. Well, they didn't limit God in His ability as such overall, but these questions and His constant complaining uh, limited what God could do for them. They limited what God could do for them. It didn't limit God where his resources were, were concerned, but it limited what he could do for them. We saw that with Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. It says, uh, you know, there he could, he could do no mighty works except lay his hands on a few sick people with minor ailments. There were no outstanding signs and wonders and miracles. There were no blind eyes open. There were no arms that grew back and, and uh, legs that grew back and leprosy cleansed or anything like that. No outstanding, just a few minor little ailments. That's all he was able to do. It says he marveled at their unbelief. One translation says he was amazed that they had no faith. And so they limited what Jesus could do for them because Jesus went to the next town and the signs and the wonders and the blind were healed and the maimed walked and all those signs and wonders happened just in the next town over. So they didn't limit. They didn't put any limitations on Jesus with their lack of faith and their lack of believing. Uh, they, they believed what Jesus said. In his hometown, they didn't believe what Jesus said. So, if what people believe or don't believe affected what Jesus could do, do you think it affects what preachers and teachers today can do? Yeah. What the people believe or don't believe, if it affected Jesus, it can affect Preachers and teachers today. 
It's not all up to the preacher what people receive and what God's able to do. Amen. Now let's turn to 2 Kings quickly. 2 Kings 7. I'm sure you've read this story before, but we'll just look at a few high points. Here in 2 Kings 7, there's a famine in the land, and it is they, they've got the city, the enemy has surrounded the city, they've cut off all the supplies, uh, they're running out of food, and it's so bad that people are resorting to cannibalism. Some people are even killing their own children and eating them. That's how bad it is. And in verse 1, the prophet Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So the prophet stands up and he says, Within 24 hours there's going to be plenty of food in this city, and it's going to be cheap. And verse 2, the Lord, this assistant to the king, pops up and uh, he, he puts his two cents worth in and he says, uh, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he's saying, could God do this? I mean, even if he opened the windows of heaven, could God bring, put, bring us plenty of food and it would be cheap, where would he get it? How would he get it to us? He's asking these same questions again. So when you say, where's God going to get that much money? How's he going to get it to us? How's God going to get us enough money to pay our debts? How could I have a car like that on my salary? You're asking the same question this man asked. If God opened the windows of heaven, could he do such a thing? That's what this man's saying. So, we don't need to know how God's going to do it or where it could come from. We just need to believe. Sow your seed, believe God. Amen? You'll also notice here, whenever you make a faith statement to somebody and you say, we're believing God for so-and-so, somebody starts mocking or scoffing, don't they? Which is exactly what this man did. As soon as the man of God made a faith statement, by this time tomorrow there's going to be plenty of food here. And the scoffer pops up and says, where would God ever get that? You know, uh, people start telling you, how's God going to get that much money to you? You know, I don't care if they're family, friends, believers, Christians, whatever. Most of them are not even walking by faith themselves, but all of a sudden, when you make a faith statement, they're now the experts on God and what God will and won't do for you. And they inform you, uh, God, God doesn't give people money. You know, God's going to give you 100000 God doesn't do things like that. So as soon as you make a faith statement, here come the scoffers and the mockers. So that's exactly what this man was doing. He mocks the prophet of God. Elisha said it will happen, and you're going to see it, but you won't eat any of it. And you know the story. The four lepers who were at the gate 
outside. They said, if we sit here, we're going to die. Let's just go out to the enemy. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. But maybe they'll have compassion on us. Maybe they'll give us something to eat. So the four lepers headed toward the enemy camp. And the Lord calls the enemy to hear a marching army coming toward them. Four, it was only four leopards, but the army heard an the enemy heard an entire army coming after them. They got up, they ran, they left behind their clothes, they left behind all the food, they left behind all their money, they left behind all their animals, all their possessions. And when the lepers got there and they saw the enemy was gone, they ate all the food they wanted, they put new clothes on, they stuffed their pockets with gold and silver and all the money they could cram in. And then after a little while of this, and they're sitting there eating all this nice warm food, they start getting convicted and they think, you know, maybe we should go back to town and tell everybody what, what we've discovered, you know, so they did. They went back to town, they said the enemy's gone, there's plenty of food, they've left everything behind, and the, uh, the people stormed the gate, and this king's assistant, who had scoffed at Elisha, uh, he was trampled to death at the, at the gate, and just like Elisha prophesied, he did see the provision of God, but he did not partake of it. Everybody say, it's coming, it's on its way. Amen. Write this down. Doubters do without, and doubters don't receive. Amen. Doubters do without, and doubters don't receive. Proverbs 10.22 in the NIV says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. This was a good example. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Let's say this together. The blessing of the Lord brings me wealth. Let's say this. One source Many channels. Amen. Never get your eyes on people. Sow your seed, claim it, believe. Believe God. Write this down. When you are in faith, when you are in faith, you know it's coming. But, it is rare that you know how it's coming. When you're in faith, you know it's coming, but it's rare that you know how it's coming. One more scripture, and we'll stop here. Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Um, verse 3 and God Almighty bless thee this is uh, Isaac talking to Jacob um, 
And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. Now the, the phrase here, God Almighty, is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. And it is, uh, the word El Shaddai describes a nursing mother. Uh, it, it literally means the breasty one. It describes a nursing mother from which an infant derives its total source of supply. And when we get a revelation that God is my source and total source of supply, when a bill comes up or something we need or want, we don't try to work out how we are going to produce it. You're not thinking, well, we could sell this, or, or I could get another job, or uh, I could work some more overtime. Maybe we could afford it. When you're a tither and a giver, you are expecting it. God deals with people to give to you. You're, and you're not telling God who to use. <laughs> what, you know, what's, what's, what's the common thing? People start running down the list of everybody they know. I don't know anybody that's got that much money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, and that's not even really where our mind's supposed to be going. Because those people are not our source, you know. But, but that's, a, that's the, the carnal mind's first tendency is to run down your list of all your friends and relatives. Who do I even know that's got that much money? And that is probably zero, probably nobody. <laughs> but that's, that's not the point. When God is your source, he can use many channels to provide what you need. Ravens fed Elijah. God sent Manna, uh, manna and quail down to feed his people in the wilderness. Peter went fishing for tax money. Everybody say unexpected channels. Unexpected channels. Amen. Now let's get up, let's stand up, and let's receive our tithes and offerings at this point. Hallelujah. One source, many channels. Hallelujah. What limits what we can have? All things are possible to him that believes. Amen? Mark 9, 23. Now let's hold our tithes and offerings in our hand and let's say this out loud. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. You are increasing me and all my children. More and more. 
I can have anything I can believe for. I can do anything I can believe for. I believe you are El Shaddai. Nothing is too hard for you. You are my source. You are my supply. Not my job. Not my pension. Not my parents. Not my friends. Not the government. You are my source. And abundant supply. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.